You're listening to Perry Noble's thoughts on leadership, vision, and creativity. For daily insight, check out perrynoble.com. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the first leadership podcast from Perry Noble in New Spring Church. We're really glad you joined us today. My name is Shane Duffy. I'm the creative arts pastor, and I serve on the leadership team at New Spring Church. And so I'm going to be your host today. And so we're going to sit here and ask Perry some questions about leadership. Perry, the first thing I want to know from you, and I'm sure all our listeners do too, is why do you want to do a podcast specifically for leaders? Well, you know, one of the things, one of the, I, f- I feel like one of God's calls on my life is to pour into leaders. And if you know anything about me, you know that um, I, I don't get a lot right, but I think one of the things that I can do is maybe teach others through some of the mistakes that I've made or we've made as a church. And um, th- there just aren't a lot of uh, free leadership resources out there. So we wanted to do this podcast for free to to try to maybe help out a leader or two out there who might want to be trying to improve his or her leadership. Why is leadership so important to an organization or a church? Um, leadership, like without leadership, it's, I think it's, the ship's just going to sink. I think one of the reasons a lot of churches are in trouble isn't because God isn't all-powerful powerful, or Jesus Christ isn't Lord. It's because they aren't led well. And uh, I think you know, you see any great church across America, despite its style, that's doing anything significant for the kingdom. Um, the one common denominator, um, other than the focus on the gospel, is a leader who is passionate about Jesus and passionate about people seeing Jesus. One of the consistent traits of a great leader is someone who takes action. When something needs to be done, they step up and do something. You addressed this issue uh, back in 2008, the first session of our Unleashed conference that year. So what we want to do now is take a couple of minutes and listen to how God calls people through an alarm. And let me kind of set the story up like this. Um, I'm, a, I'm a new dad. Uh, my little girl, she's about eight months old. She'll be here later on today, and she's awesome. And uh, we, had, we had brought Karis home from the hospital, my wife and I, Lucretia. And, and we came home from the hospital, and we'd been home for about a month, you know, or so, and, and I, I learned as a new dad, sleep is completely optional and highly overrated. I mean, you're just up in the middle of the night, and so I remember one night, you know, it, it, it had been a rough night, and Kara, she was up, and, and we are kind of trying to get her to sleep. She wouldn't sleep or whatever, and so I finally got to bed, and I finally got to sleep, and I'm laying in my bed, and quick survey, how many of you have a home security system? Would you raise your hand you got a home security system or a big dog if you're in the South? That counts, too. All right, so get them. Anyway, so I, I was laying in bed. It's about 6 o'clock in the morning, and I uh, finally got to sleep, and all of a sudden, our house alarm went off, and it, like, our house alarm sounds like, like New Year's Eve. It is just loud. And I looked at my wife, who's a second degree black belt, by the way. And I said, you need to go check that out. <laughs> she said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to pray. <laughs> Seriously, Lucretia looked at me and said the understatement of the year. She looked at me and she said, that's not good. Now, when the alarm goes off, I had a choice to make as the man of my house. If I had responded the Christian way, I would have called a small group to come over and discuss the alarms that go off in our life. (laughs) Or I could have decided whether or not the alarm was predestined to go off or whether by someone's choice they had set it off. 
I could have called a prayer group to have them pray about the alarm. But I decided I needed to take action. So I reached in my nightstand. And I pulled out my Glock 9mm with a 15-round clip. Some of you are like, Pastor, I don't believe it. I believe in gun control. I do too. I have a gun. I will control you if you come in my house. You know what I'm saying? I had a lady tell me, you couldn't have shot, you couldn't have shot a man. I could have shot him, ate a jelly donut if he come in my house. <laughs> See, we're in the South. Pastors don't play around here. We all pack, all right? So anyway. <laughs> I got up, I cocked my gun, I walked out, the, I looked at Lucretia, I said, don't open this door no matter what. She said, all right. She reached in her nightstand, pulled out her 38 special. I married a woman. <laughs> She's from South Georgia. Those girls don't play. I remember walking through my house that, that day. But by the way, somebody, somebody had literally cut my phone lines and tried to come in my house. And I remember walking through my house thinking, I'm out of bed. I'm walking through my house, and I'm shook up all because an alarm went off. If the alarm had not went off, I would have laid in bed. If the alarm had not went off, I don't know what could have possibly happened in my home. If the alarm wouldn't have went off, somebody could have came in my house and stole everything that I had, injured my daughter, injured my wife, injured me. If the alarm had not went off, but because the alarm went off and I could not be comfortable in my bed, I had to get up and go check out what was going on in my house. The one thing I'm praying and I've been praying for all week is that in this week, in your church and in your leadership, an alarm goes off. I'm begging God that an alarm will go off because my, my, my attitude is this. I think God is looking down from heaven going, if you're not going to use the church, I'd like to have it back and give it to somebody who is going to use it for my glory. I'm praying that an alarm goes off. I'm praying that the alarm goes off when we realize God created the church to reach the world. I'm praying that the alarm goes off when we begin to discover that the, that the church attendance in America is decreasing and the population in America is increasing and we want to form study groups to figure out why people aren't coming to church. I'm praying that an alarm will go off in our leadership and in our churches so that we can reach the world for Christ. Because if not, I believe Jesus is going to say, if you're not going to use that church... I'll take it back and give it to somebody who acts with urgency. Perry, why do you think God is sounding an alarm? You know, Shane, I'm looking at the condition of our country, and it seems like uh, if you're just kind of looking at the country, it seems like the things are getting worse. You know, it just seems like... Um, we're hearing about more men, um, you know, killing their wives, putting them in a dumpster. You're hearing um, more stories about kids being abandoned. In fact, I heard um, Andy Stanley say the other day that 40% of the children born in America this year are going to be born to single moms. Um, I, I, I just see all this stuff, and I go, man, our, our country's kind of um, going down the wrong path. And it seems like the church, all they want to do is point out the obvious, um, and I think God is setting off an alarm in church leaders because I'm seeing some leaders and some church planters rise up and say, you know what, let's be a part of the solution. Any moron can identify a problem. 
But let's be a part of the solution, and I think God is doing that because the church has sat around and played defense or either played neutral for way too long, and it's time for us to step up and do something about it. Well, tell us about how God sounded the alarm for you. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a really long story, but to kind of narrow it down, in 1996, I was in a seminary class, and it was an apologetics class taught by James Emery White, who's the senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in um, Charlotte. And he and I love apologetics. I love the defense of the faith. And so I was all into this class. And I'm also in evangelism. I love to see people meet Christ. And so on that night, um, it was a night class. I was in Charlotte taking the class. And he said, um, tonight I'm going to teach you the greatest method of evangelism known to man. And so I got really excited. And he talked about church planting. And it was kind of funny because earlier that day I'd been in a systematic theology class and my systematic theology professor was talking about church planting. And that was the craziest idea I had ever heard of. And so I raised my hand in the class and asked my professor, who's now the president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, Danny Aiken, one of the smartest men I've ever met. And I just asked him, I was like, hey, um, you're talking about uh, planting churches. Why would you do that when we've got so many churches already? Like, why don't you just go in and change everything? And he laughed. He said, they've got a word for that. It's called martyr. And then he used this phrase. He said, it's easier to give birth to a baby than it is to resurrect the dead. And um, I wrote that down. And it just, it blew me away. And so I was like, wow. And then that night... Dr. White says, here's the greatest tool of evangelism, and it's called church planning. And he talked for two hours, and God wrecked me and really showed me that, you know what, the church in America exists not to be a holy huddle or a country club, um, but it exists uh, to really teach, preach, and proclaim the gospel and see individual lives changed one person at a time. And so in 1996, God literally set an alarm off in me where I knew um, it, I, I didn't need to be a part of the problem, uh, that I needed to be a part of the solution. Tell us about a couple of things that you saw in churches at that time, and maybe even still see today, that you would characterize uh, as being dead or something that doesn't work anymore. I mean, what was the thing that frustrated you the most about church whether it was in 1996 or even today, that you see and you say, something's got to be done. Well, yeah, I remember the first church I served in, and um, it was a very tiny church. And, man, I'm so thankful for that church giving me an opportunity to, to learn and grow. But uh, I've always been fired up about evangelism, so I preached a message in that church on how we're going to reach this entire town. Now, there was, like, only 72 people in the town, and maybe 12 of them were at church that night. But... Man, I was fired up, and I preached my guts out. And afterwards, a very prominent lady in the church, um, very influential, came up to me, and she said, um, Perry, I, I think you're under the assumption that we want to grow. And I was like, um, yeah. And she said, we kind of like things around here the way they are, and we don't really want new people coming in. And I just remember being just dumbfounded, but over a period of time, seeing that attitude prominently displayed in the church of, 
we've got a great thing here and we don't want other people coming in. I'm like, no, people need Jesus. People need to be here. They need to hear the gospel. They need Christian community. They need to be taught how to take their next steps in their walk with Christ. They need to be baptized. Marriages need to be put back together. Kids need fathers. The church is supposed to proclaim the gospel, and you you can't be satisfied. I think the other thing that was a little frustrating was um, the, the church's um, unwillingness to change. Not inability, but unwillingness and how we embrace methods. I remember getting in trouble one time um, in a seminary class because we, we learned this thing called CWT, which was continuing witness training. It was really, really popular in the late 80s, early 90s, and you learn how to share your faith, and it was very beneficial, but then they made us leave our seminary class and go door-to-door um, in these pretty exclusive neighborhoods in Charlotte where I was going, and I was like, I got in a lot of trouble because I raised my hand and told my professor, I was like, I don't think this is going to work. Now, in the 1950s, it did work because if you walked up to somebody's house and you were a stranger and you knocked on the door, they'd invite you in and ask you to dinner. Today, there's no solicitation signs um, in the front of neighborhoods. And so I just said, I think it should be relational. I think it should be people reaching people that they know. And I just remember getting ridiculed. Um, And so we did what I call terrorism evangelism, where you just kind of go and ask people if they were to die, would they go to heaven? And which is a weird question to ask somebody the first two minutes of a conversation when you're at their house. And so I just saw those I just saw those old methods and I praise God that they did work. At one point, busing children into your church did work in the 60s and 70s. It was a great idea. Today, sure, such strange religious organization, come take my child and put them on your bus and take them to your church and indoctrinate them and send them home. Like, that doesn't work anymore. Um, I think the one that I, I talk about a lot and I get, I get in trouble for sometimes is Sunday school. Sunday school was very effective in the 50s and 60s, but it's been declining, I think, in every major denomination since 1971. I mean, it's just not an effective tool, yet churches spend hundreds and thousands of dollars on an old method. And I say if the horse is dead, don't keep buying hay for the horse. Take the saddle off the horse and go find one that's alive. Do you think um, the resistance to change by churches has anything to do with the people being lazy or just afraid of something new? No, I think it's afraid of something new, Shane, because um, I used to say it was laziness, because when we first started the church, I I tell people all the time, I was the smartest, godliest, most knowledgeable pastor on the planet until we launched our first service, and then God humbled me quickly, and that process has continued to this day. Um, I was all about change in the year 2000. The church needs to change, church needs to change, church needs to change. And that was great because I was changing. I felt like I was changing things that other people had done. But about three or four years into it, um, we started changing things that we had came up with. Like we started changing phrases and terminology and ideas and concepts And that change was difficult because it's easy to change someone else's ideas. But when those ideas were things that you, you you know, you prayed about, you cried over, you thought through, you brainstormed, and now these are things that you came up with and you're having to change, um, that was very uncomfortable for me. So it taught me a lesson that the people in churches that don't want to change aren't necessarily 
lazy. I mean, I think that's the case in some cases where it's like we don't want new people around here, so let's just keep what we've got. But in other cases, it really is an uncomfortable thing because it's like, that's my baby, and I gave birth to it, and I don't want to drop her, him or her off at kindergarten. But it's necessary to experience that change. And, man, we've gone through some major changes, and, and God stretched me in in a major way and it like i said it hadn't been laziness it's just been uncomfortability and i think until a leader is willing to place himself or herself in a consistent state of being uncomfortable that they will never lead the church in the way that god wants it to be led you know something that i thought about while you were talking through that answer is new spring church over the last is is about to celebrate its 10-year anniversary by any measurement it's an extremely successful church and so there's never been a long period of time where you could point back uh, over the last 10 years and say, you know, we really took a dive here. We took a dive there. We have made, uh, over the last 10 years, the churches continue to grow by 1,000 people a year or something like that. But yet you just said that there were times where we had to change things that we had actually come up with. Mm-hmm. Why would a leader consider making changes in a time where things actually look positive? Um, well, I think there's a few reasons. Number one is because God speaks change into a leader. Um, I mean, there there's changes that we've taken that, that have just been God-led. Like God said, all right, you're doing this, but you need to do this. Hey, you're doing a great work here in Anderson, but you need to do a video campus in Greenville. Um, that was a that was a very uncomfortable change because we always figured that we would be here in Anderson for the rest of our lives. Um, and so I think... I think that's that's one thing um, that that really sticks out in my mind. Do you think God sounds an alarm in the heart of every leader? You know, I I I think if if we're listening to Him, He does. Um, I think one of the worst things that a leader can go through is complacency, where it's just like, hey, you know what? I'm getting I'm getting my paycheck. And people are showing up at church, and things are going good, and I seem to be well liked, and and so he or she just kind of falls into that rut or that routine. Um, but I think if we're really, really, really listening to God, that He's going to sound alarms off in us on a consistent basis. Like, for example, take Peter in um, Acts two. Um, the Holy Spirit shows up at the day of Pentecost. There, bam, there's an alarm in Peter. He's like, man, I need to preach the gospel. He preaches the gospel. And then in Acts chapter 8, an alarm goes off in him where he has to go to, to, to Samaria and preach the gospel. And then in Acts chapter 10, an another, another alarm goes off in him where he's like, okay, now i got to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And all those came about because Peter was listening to what the Lord had to say to him. So I think if we're consistently listening to what the Lord has to say to us as leaders, that he's going to constantly set off alarms in us which identify our heart with, with his heart, and it's going to be unmistakable and undeniable. The, the, the other thing I say there, Shane, is um, you're not being disobedient until God has spoken and you say no. So until God speaks, you need to do whatever you heard him say to do last a lot. And then when it's time to set the alarm off in your heart, I believe God will do that. You mentioned in the clip that uh, the population in America is increasing, and at the same time the number of people attending church is, is decreasing. 
Do you think this is due to the fact that we've got some leaders out there that God's sounding an alarm, but they are, um, for lack of a better phrase, hitting the snooze button? Yeah, I do. Um, as as uh, one of the things I've learned about in leadership is one of the biggest temptations is as long as you're getting your paycheck, don't rock the boat. I mean, as long as thing, I mean, just don't rock the boat. But I look at America, and um, let's just be honest. People are interested in spiritual matters. And it's not that people go, I'm just not interested. Or, or I've heard church leaders go, well, people just aren't interested in spiritual things. And that's bull. Um, if a movie about angels or something like that comes out, people flock to see it. The Da Vinci Code People flocked to see it because it really did have to do with spirituality. The Left Behind books, people bought those like crazy because they had to do with spirituality. The Shack, people bought that book in droves. Whether you agree with the theology or disagree with it, it had to do with something spiritual. Um, uh, Oprah, Eckhart Tolle, all those. I mean, it's it's people are flocking to spirituality, which blows my mind because the Bible and the church hold the corner on the supernatural. I mean, that whole virgin birth thing, hadn't seen that one pulled off again, you know? I mean, God has the corner of the market on the supernatural and the spiritual, so it's not that people aren't interested in that. It's just that the church seems to be presenting um, not uh, presenting their message in a very non-relevant, boring, um, inconsiderate way. And I think it kind of drives people. I mean, people are going to search for the spiritual. And I just think the church is the best place for it. And uh, le- leaders cannot continue to hit the, the snooze button and dismiss um, the obvious hunger and desire in our culture to have that spiritual need met. And, and like that need's only going to be met through Jesus. You mentioned the importance of the church and that, you know, Bill Hybels has said that uh, the church is the hope of the world. Right. Do you agree with that statement? And uh, if so, why do you think attendance is declining? Are people rejecting Jesus or are they rejecting the church? No. Yeah. Okay. First of all, yes, I do agree with Bill Hybels. I mean, he is um, he's one of the greatest leaders that, that I've ever had the privilege of knowing. And I do believe the local church is the hope of the world because we carry the message of Jesus Christ. I mean, you look for 2,000 years, what is the one organization that has existed um, for 2,000 years? The, the church. That, that's it, the, the church. Um, now, we, um, the church has made some good and bad decisions over 2,000 years, but at the end of the day, um, she's still the bride of Christ. It blows my mind that some people go, I love God but I don't like the church. And that's like saying, hey, Perry, I love you, but I think your wife's ugly. Um, I'm going to punch you in the throat if you say that to me and um, because that's my wife, that's my bride, and I believe that's the way God feels about his church. Um, and I just forgot the second question, Shane. So what was that follow-up question? Well, do you think people reject Jesus or the church? Oh, that's an easy question. Yeah, you do surveys. I think the last survey I read, over 90% of America believes in God. Like over 90% of America say, yes, there's a, there is a God. But, but less than 50% go to church. So that, I mean, the numbers don't lie. People aren't rejecting God. They're rejecting church. And why do you think that is? Well, 
Um, I think that a lot of churches turn into um, bless me clubs, holy huddles, um, uh, places where uh, people can meet and discuss what are going to be eternally insignificant matters um, and get wrapped up in a discussion and completely ignore the person uh, who doesn't know Christ. I, you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm one of those guys that um, I can look at the condition of the, the church today and be excited and be sad um, but I, mean, I just, I just want to be a part of the solution. I just, I just, I'm like, all right, the church has been on cruise control. We've been hitting the snooze button for far too long. And so let's, um, let's step up and do something about it. I mean, that's why we do Unleashed. That's why we do the leadership podcast. That's why, um, I do the blog. That's why we do things like that because it's like, Hey, no church is perfect. Good gosh. We're not perfect at New Spring. We never will be as long as I'm the leader. I'm the I mean, the only reason Paul wrote that he's the chief of sinners is because he hadn't met me. I mean, I understand. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm just one of those guys that's. I'm like, you know what? Let's 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 not point fingers and let, let's just kind of step up and do what God called us to do. I think the ultimate reason churches aren't getting it done is because they're not doing what God called them to do. One more question about about the church. Do you think that God is going to sound an alarm? where the response to reach lost people is not the church? No, I don't think I don't think so. I think there will be parachurch organizations that rise up and they do have a great desire to reach the lost. But I think God's um I think God's primary call for the church is the great commission. I mean Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Mark 16, 15, uh Luke, John, Acts, all, it goes all the way through there's a great commission literally in every book of the New Testament, go reach people for Christ. And so I just think that's the that's the primary. It, saying that the church isn't going to reach lost people is kind of like saying Burger King isn't going to serve hamburgers anymore. I, you, huh? Yeah, yeah, Burger King went vegetarian. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Um, so the church, that's why I, I, I can't stand it when we, well, we're a church that disciples people, but we don't evangelize. Well, then shut your flipping doors because the Great Commission says to go reach the world and make disciples. And when you're not making disciples, well, you got to have a convert um, before you have a disciple. So, yeah, Why do you think it is that so many uh, people uh, want to focus on discipleship uh, but yet not evangelism? Well, you know what? Discipleship and evangelism are synonymous. I mean, they go hand in hand. The, the thing about discipleship, the, the, the thing that most people just need to admit is discipleship in a lot of churches is where people go, we're going to teach this person to think just like we think. So this is everything you need to think. They don't teach them how to think. They don't teach them how to read their Bible. They don't teach them how. They just go, this is everything you need to believe. And so what we call discipleship, God actually calls robotics. And I, I just don't think that's what God had in mind. The disciples, what did disciples do? They followed Jesus every day, one step at a time. I think that's what discipleship is. So I think evangelism, I mean, that's what Jesus said. He told the disciples, hey, come follow me. And as they came and followed him and got to know him, they became more like him. They weren't perfect, but 
Um, and so I, I just think evangelism and discipleship go hand in hand, that a disciple is someone who's answered the call of Jesus to follow him, and they just do that on a consistent basis. I don't think it's this hugely complicated process that we, we've made it out to be. You know, something I've heard you say a number of times, which it still kind of cracks me up, is that so many people trust the Holy Spirit to woo and change lives to bring dead people to life, but that uh, we don't trust the Holy Spirit to grow people up in their faith. And so, uh, like you were saying, it's like we want to, discipleship processes end up turning into robotics classes as opposed to uh, encouraging people to read their Bible and just follow the Lord. Yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. It's like, thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing this person to faith. We will take over now. Um, and I'm just like, I don't think that's, the, that's what it says in the Scripture. I know, here's what happened to me when I came to Christ. I went to a great church that taught the Word of God, and every Sunday I went to church, I got the Word of God. Um, they actually taught me to read my Bible, and so I read my Bible. I began to pray. Um, I, I figured out what I believed and why I believed it, and I went and listened to the Word of God preached, and I began to jump in and serve every opportunity that I could, and through that process, it wasn't complicated. I grew. Like, I grew. I feel like I became a disciple of Christ as I embraced the opportunities that God clearly put in my path. And um, I, just, I just think that's what a disciple is. And so the church, the church should focus on discipleship, understanding that evangelism, you can't have a disciple until you have a convert. Like I said, so you got evangelism and discipleship going hand in hand. Hey, now that you've met Jesus, just answer that call to follow him every single day. Well, with that, Perry, let's... You know, we've covered a lot of things today, but primarily it's the challenge to hear the alarm, respond to the alarm, understanding that the hope of this world is the church. And with that, what challenge would you give to the people listening to this podcast today, to leaders who maybe are hearing an alarm and haven't responded or just something's going on and they know they need to do something? What kind of encouragement or challenge would you give those people? You know, I believe God... Um God calls leaders to step up and act with urgency. You know, I think about the story of David and Goliath. Um, you had Saul, a very passive leader, who for 40 days, twice a day, listened to Goliath taunt the Israelites. And he probably prayed for God to kill the giant. He might have even gone to some Bible studies on 16 ways to kill a giant. Um, he probably had small group discussions on the giants in his life personally. Um, he might have even had, you know, an accountability partner that he confessed his fear of the giant to. But ultimately, he just didn't have any urgency in his life. And then David shows up and goes, all right, here's the deal, guys. Um, somebody's got to kill that flipping giant. Like, somebody needs to go down in that valley and whip his rear end. And if none of you are going to do it, I think I'll do it. So he acted with urgency. He steps down in the valley. He kills Goliath. And then... Like, he becomes the king, not because, you know, here's what's funny, Saul was the leader, but David replaced him, because when Saul decided to be passive, David acted with urgency. And so I believe there's got to be a degree of urgency in a leader to go, you know what, when God says to do something, or when God places an opportunity in front of me, he didn't do it so I could... Um, get all Christianese about it. He places opportunities in front of us so that we can take action. 
period. And so I would say to a leader out there who is looking at an opportunity, if God put an opportunity in front of you, it will make you uncomfortable because I'm quite sure David was sweating a little bit when he stepped down in the valley. Um, You will feel overwhelmed because I'm quite sure David felt overwhelmed. You will be mocked and taunted because David actually received um, mocking and taunting from both sides. In fact, if you want to get more specific, he was taunted and mocked by his own brother. Sometimes those closest to us say the most hurtful things about us. And so he had all this going on, but at the end of the day, he said, somebody's got to do something about it. I'll do something about it. And he took care of the problem. That's what leaders do. Man, that is a great way to wrap up this first leadership podcast. Uh, Perry, I appreciate uh, sitting down and talking through this and encouraging leaders. Uh, For all of you out there, don't forget that Unleashed 2010 is coming up in March, March the 4th to be specific. You can register for that for the low, low price of $59 uh, up till January 31st, 2010. So do not miss that. Make your plans to be here for Unleashed 2010. With that, we'll sign off from this first podcast and join us next time when we're going to talk about vision. <laughs>